Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Whether you've written a novel, memoir, poetry, nonfiction, young adult, or children's book, you need a website to promote your work of art. PubSite is here to make that easy. PubSite allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking, professional website. This easy-to-use DIY website builder was developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your website with a 14-day free trial or hire PubSite to set up the website for you. Authors like Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, Janet Daly, and hundreds more use PubSite. Visit PubSite.com to get started today. That's P-U-B hyphen S-I-T-E dot com. We're here with Katherine Holmes, who has a lot of experience across different areas of the publishing world, including different genres, age groups, as well as co-authoring and soloing. So Catherine is going to talk to us about all kinds of different stuff. But the first thing that I want to jump into is talking about writing across age groups, because specifically with what you write in between, which is YA and middle grade, if you are a writer, you're aware that those differences are are pretty vast. But at the same time, as a reader, it might feel more subtle. So if you could talk a little bit about the writing differences between YA, middle grade, and then, of course, chapter books. I started out in YA and published two young adult novels in 2015 and 2016. And at that time, I thought I was a YA writer. And then, unfortunately, I couldn't sell another YA novel, which happens to a lot of us for various reasons. And so I was kind of throwing some things at the wall, trying different things. My agent encouraged me to try different things. And one of the things that she threw my way was an audition for a chapter book IP a write for hire project. And I had never written for this age group. So chapter books are like six to nine year olds, first to third grade, maybe fourth grade. And I'd never tried it, but I didn't have anything else on my docket at the time. So I I gave it a try and I didn't get that job, but I really liked it. I really liked trying to get into the head of like a first and second grade audience. So I started working on my own, and that's what eventually came out was my Class Critters series, and there's three books of those out, um, and they're about a second grade classroom where every kid turns into an animal for a day. The thing that I found about writing for that age group is, I mean, obviously the language is a little less sophisticated than it is in YA. And for me, I often found that in my first drafts, I would use language that was too sophisticated. And then as I went through the editorial process, a lot of times both myself and then my editor would be like, we can say this in a more simple, straightforward way. Let's just say it. But then also just thinking about the concerns of a 
you know, second grade character, a seven-year-old versus the concerns of a teenager. For some reason, I really didn't have a lot of trouble getting into the head of the second graders, like thinking about the things they're worried about, their friend dynamics, pleasing the authority figures in their life, their teachers and their parents, wanting to succeed and wanting to fit in in their classroom and wanting to have fun. I feel like there were two kind of changes I had to make. I had to really think about the language and the vocabulary that I was using and then getting into their heads. Now, it helps that I have a five-year-old. So I spend a lot of time at the playground. I found myself really observing the young elementary schoolers as I was working on these and just watching them interact. What are the things that are causing conflict between them or what are the ways that they resolve those conflicts? I have never attempted to write for a younger age group. I have written YA and that is what I am published under. I have certainly considered writing adult and I have a few manuscripts that are just like under the bed for adults. But I have never considered going lower simply because it's not that it doesn't interest me, but I do enjoy a little more complicated vocabulary. My humor is a little dark for one thing, Mm. but it's also very, very (laughs) subtle. And I don't know if, if the things that I think are funny or the way that I present things would ever work in middle grade Mm. or in a chapter book. So I do know that uh, the way to a child's heart is fart jokes. So it's like (laughs) the thing about my series is that every book is told from the point of view of a different kid. It's two girls and one boy so far. Mm -hmm. And the boy book is obviously kind of sillier and jokier. So he turns into a dog and there is a moment where I had him figure out how he was going to pee. Uh Because what would a seven-year-old boy want to do when he turns into a dog, lift his leg and pee on a bush? The two girl books are a little different. And I mean, one thing that I found, though, talking about different age groups is that the things that I'm interested in, I think, remain the same no matter what age I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm interested in characters figuring out how they fit in, whether that's fitting into their friend group or their family unit or expectations that people have of them, the dynamics of feeling shy and wanting to put yourself out there versus the kids who are really obviously able to put themselves out there. And then what happens when they have a moment of crisis? I feel like I'm constantly kind of coming back to the same emotional themes. It just is bringing them to different age groups. Feelings are universal. And that is something that we tend to forget and we tend to believe that we're a little bit more sophisticated as we get Mm -hmm. older. And while some of the thought processes might be the core, the base, the emotions and the experiences do tend to be essentially the same. You're talking about fitting in, uh, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a human being is rejection or exile. Those feelings and those themes they really do continue through on to adulthood. It's just that maybe in adulthood, we're worried about divorce. Whereas in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kindergarten, we're just like, I really hope they let me sit with them at lunch. So my second YA novel, How It Feels to Fly, is about a girl who has anxiety and body image issues, and she has a negative voice in her head. And she kind of has to figure out as a teenager how to fight back against that voice that's cutting her down in her head. And I actually came back to that in the third Class Critters book, but with a seven-year-old who gets a negative voice in her head telling her that she's not going to be able to do this thing that she wants to do and that she's not good enough. So 
like you said, it's it's a universal experience and maybe the sophistication of how you talk about it is different, but it's certainly not a problem that is specific to one age group or one demographic. So yeah, it was really fun to dive back into that same issue, but think about it from how would you counsel a second grader through this situation? So talk to me about the writing and production schedule when we're talking about chapter books, because in the YA world, generally, you want to be producing a book a year. And I believe the same is true of middle grade. So when you're producing chapter books, which are, of course, shorter and thinner, what is that like in terms of your production schedule? All three of the chapter books in my series came out in a single calendar year. I was writing them with about a six-month turnaround, you know, starting to draft it to getting it to copy edit. Turnaround is definitely a lot tighter, but it also helped me really stay in the world and stay in the voice because I wasn't working on a ton of things in between. I was really kind of committed to those three books for that year and a half of time. So it actually didn't feel that tight of a timeline because I could write a first draft of it in a couple weeks easily Mm -hmm. and then take the time to revise it and get it to my editor. And what's the typical word count length on those? Mine are about 10 or 11,000 words. They Mm -hmm. can go as low as like five or six. And those tend to be for maybe early readers, like first graders and second graders. And then up to ten or 11,000, which is kind of the third or fourth grade. They're for newly independent readers. So they're not for really starting to read because they do have a little bit more sophisticated language than that. But they're for the kids who are independently reading. And so now they're ready to kind of try a slightly longer book format for them. Same question kind of in the different arena, talking about jumping between those age categories. And obviously, when you're writing a book a year for YA and they are longer, your advance is going to be a little larger. When you're talking about writing three books a year, when you're writing chapter books, what is your payment like? I was offered 30000 for the three books, so mm-hmm. 10K a book. Um, and it is my understanding that that is a pretty good pay rate for chapter books. I haven't spoken to a ton of other authors about what they have gotten, but it is my understanding that that is a good a good advance. Honestly, when you break that down, that is a better per word rate than I received for my YA novels. Yeah. If you think about the amount of work that you're doing. So I was I was quite happy with that. Like other book deals, you know, I got the 50% of the total up front and then the remaining 50% with each book when I turned that in. 15k up front and then 5 and 5 and 5 with each book when I turned it in. It's not enough to live on, but (laughs) comparatively for the amount of like actual words that I'm producing, I've found that writing shorter books pays a little bit better. (laughs) You just said, you're so right, your writing income not necessarily being enough to live on. I think Mm -hmm. I've said it before on this podcast, but I'll say it again, only about 1% of published writers actually live off of their writing income very, very many of us are either working part-time, full-time jobs. We have spouses that support Mm -hmm. us in different ways, whether it's insurance and retirement and all of those things, because we don't have that. But 
Also, side gigs. So you also, much like myself, operate in the freelance world with writing-related gigs. You have experience with journalism, ghostwriting, copy editing. So talk to me about how you get yourself established in those side gigs and also what that is like in terms of that freelance life. My first job out of college was as a magazine editor at a group of dance magazines. I was and am a dancer as well as a writer. And I did that for a couple of years and then decided I wanted to go to grad school for fiction and get back into fiction writing, which I had left behind. But basically when I left that job, I kept accepting journalism freelance assignments from them. And I am still doing that 15 years later, kind of a piecemeal article by article, a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there, but I enjoy doing it. And I have been doing it for long enough that I'm really immersed in that world. So that's one of my side gigs is writing magazine articles about dance. I've done freelance copy editing. I've done ghost writing. For that, I had uh, created a ReadZ profile. I'm sure some of your mm-hmm. other guests have talked about ReadZ, the online marketplace where you can advertise your writing and editing services. I have worked with self-published authors and helped them improve their drafts before publication and got that through Readsy. I've done marketing copywriting. I basically, a few years ago, decided if someone will pay me to do something related to words, I will probably do it as long as it does not keep me entirely from doing my own writing. You have to earn money, but you don't want to take on too many extra gigs that you can't actually do the thing that you want to be doing or the reason that you're doing it all. I should also state that I am very lucky to have a spouse in a full-time tech job, so I do not have to worry about insurance. I have a lean month or a lean year, let's say. (laughs) Last year, I had a lean year. Luckily, I have a spouse who has a full-time steady job, and so I am able to kind of cobble together the freelance lifestyle. It is rough. I also (laughs) freelance. I do not have a spouse, so I don't have insurance or retirement or anything like that. I obviously release a YA novel once a year, and that is the majority of my income, but I also write underneath a pen name. I do offer editorial services, both under my own shingle, and then also I do operate under a different name in the nonfiction world, people with their book proposals. And of course, I also have this blog and podcast, and I do co-authoring with some friends. Right. You do have to say, yes, I need these side gigs in order to keep my head above water, but I also have to be careful that I am not interfering with my main bread and butter, which is my fiction. Specifically, when I was doing the marketing copywriting job, I had an hourly requirement per week. So at least I knew I had a baseline of money that was coming in, unlike articles, which are more kind of here and there, money comes in as it comes in, the same way as published books. All of my creative brain time was going toward this marketing job. And eventually I was like, I'm not doing the writing that I need to be doing. I'm just writing marketing copy. I had to let go of that and I need to find a way to to bring in enough income to make that happen. But also I'm a parent and childcare man costs. I have to say when my daughter was little, I was not earning enough really to justify additional childcare. There's that balance also of like, 
how many hours per week can I get someone to watch my kids so that I can write on the hope of one day earning money? Such a juggling act. Yeah, it is hard. And it's something that I struggle with as well. You only have a finite amount of brain power, energy and time Mm -hmm. that can be directed towards things. And some of the work that I do is a slog. I will never claim that I absolutely enjoy every minute of everything that I do. I do have the different wheelhouses where I find personally that drafting creatively and writing from scratch and creating my own stuff, that drains me pretty quickly. I can and I have spent hours in front of the laptop just grinding and getting a first draft out, but I don't prefer to work that way. I Mm -hmm. would rather write a thousand words a day and I can do that fairly quickly And then I've got the rest of the day to do the work that I might be a little less excited about, but it is nice to switch gears and jump into my editorial brain and just be looking at someone else's work. And I'm not producing content. I'm helping someone polish their own or improve their own. I switch those gears and I start using those different skills that I have. And it is actually a relief to change over. One of the nice things about the freelance life about fiction writing not being my only job in general is is it's nice to switch gears. I try to do my fiction first if I can. Um, and it sounds like maybe you do too, to get that yes. kind of on the page, get that checked off the list. And some days I do not want to stop, but I have to get to another deadline. But then I find that I'm usually grateful for that because the next morning when I open up my own document, I'm just ready. I've missed it. I've been thinking about it. I'm ready to dive in. If I didn't have other things to do, I don't know if I would always be quite as like chomping at the bit to get to my own writing as well. I think that's very true. You get a little bit of fatigue, I believe, creative fatigue when you are pulling everything out of the ether and you're just creating a world on your own. It's a lot of work and I find it to be mentally taxing. I can do it for hours if I need to. I don't think it's the best way to operate. And I do find myself scraping bottom of the barrel when it comes to pacing and plot and like what happens next and even dialogue. When I'm first jumping in, I'm fresh. And for me, it's just like a workout. It's like when I first start, it seems hard. I'm fresh, but it's hard. And then once I get warmed up, I'm moving. And Mm -hmm. then at the end, I'm like, okay, I don't have anything else left. Like I have given it all my all for this half an hour, an hour. And I can feel it almost physically taxing me when I'm Mm -hmm. writing. I know when it's time to quit because I am no longer producing my best stuff. Writers know that you can never have enough backups. Ganzo is a new cloud storage solution where you easily drag and drop your files to your account to ensure your data is never lost. It's also easy to access your files from anywhere on any device, as well as share with family and friends or collaborate with co-writers. Try out the free plan, which offers five gigs of storage today by visiting ganzo.io. That's G-A-N-S-O dot I-O. So talk to me about submission, the submission world and submission slumps, because so many of the listeners I know are still struggling. They're still in uh, the query trenches or out on submission. And that is a long, lonely journey. It is something that can take the heart out of you 
pretty quickly. And I know it's something that you have experience with. I am one of those people where my debut actually moved really quickly through the process. Um, it wasn't the first book I ever wrote. It was the second. But I landed the first agent who read the manuscript and she had minimal critiques for it. It went out on submission. The first editor who read it really liked it and ended up offering on it. And so it felt very smooth and very straightforward. And I was like, I have arrived. <laughs> they bought my option book without too much fuss. And so I had, you know, one, two, here we go. And I think it's pretty easy to feel in that instance that, okay, the hardest part is done. And spoiler alert, the hardest part was not done. <laughs> Unfortunately, my second book underperformed, as many books do, because it's so hard to know what the expectations are and what kind of benchmark you're trying to meet. And trends come and go. And my books were contemporary, my young adult novels. And by the time my second one came out, that trend was kind of on the ebb. So that book didn't do very well, and then I didn't have numbers. And so then my third book, that option book, was passed on. And at the time, I thought, okay, I just got to work on something new. I went on submission five times over the course of about three and a half years between my second YA novel and selling my chapter books. I wrote three different books could not break through, could not sell them. I wrote you know, another young adult novel from scratch, and then I wrote a middle grade novel, took it back to the drawing board again, and rewrote it from scratch. And it still didn't sell, by which point I have put many years of my life into this book. And I'm like, okay, maybe I just need to take a step back and let this one go. I like to talk to people about the submission slump because it feels really, really terrible when you're in it. When you're like, Maybe the books I've already published are the last ones that I'm ever going to publish. And it's really hard some days to just keep working and to keep keep sitting down at your computer when you no longer believe that maybe anything is going to come of it. And what really saved me was this transition into chapter books, because it was starting something entirely new, exploring a new age group. It almost felt like play again in a way that writing hadn't felt like play in a really long time. It had felt so fraught. Like, if I don't sell this, my career is over. And then I didn't sell it. And then I'm like, oh, how do I write another thing? And if I don't sell that, my career is over. And so going into the chapter book world, it felt like play. And I spent a while just playing with those ideas and kind of refining it. And it felt really exciting to be trying something new and getting feedback on it and making it better. And knowing also that my YA track record wouldn't matter as much when going out with a new age group. I like to talk to people about that because I've been there and I did get through to the other side, but also like the importance of finding the joy in it again in whatever route that takes for you. The importance of finding play and a sense where it's not, where every word doesn't feel like you're dragging it out of yourself because. It matters so very much, but like maybe you can just play around with something. Maybe you can try something new. Maybe you can find a way to explore in a way you haven't explored before. And maybe that will be enough to kind of find you through to the other side. The joy can get zapped from you pretty quickly when you are now writing and being a creator for a living. That is something that I found pretty early on because at this point, the only book that I ever had 
written before it's sold. You have to have a book that's finished. And when you're writing it, you really are doing it for yourself. You have goals, you have things that you want to accomplish with it, but you're just writing your book. That is very freeing. So I've been publishing for 10 years now. I think I have 12 books out. And so 11 of those I sold on spec. I sold them by writing the synopsis and saying, this is what the book will be. And the publishers were like, yes, we'll buy that. So then you're, you're locked in and you're writing this book and this is your bread and butter. This is how you make a living. And while I love having the security of knowing that the book is already sold, it does take away some of that just inherent joy of writing the book for yourself, writing it <laughs> for the just pleasure of discovering what happens. I am a pantser. So for me, <laughs> I am just kind of making things up as I go most of the time, even though I do present a synopsis, it is pretty loose. <laughs> and um, I style it that way purposely. So I'm not married to anything. That little bit of like discovery kind of can get taken away from you when you are not writing outside of contract. I do think that when you're writing with the concern of my career, when you're writing with the concern of my finances, it can kind of rob you of some of that joy. Then it feels like work. It always feels like work because you're, it is work. But when it just feels like a slog, it's just such not a creative space. It's not. It's a pressurized space and it's an economical space and it's a worrying space. And none of those things are helpful to creativity. I don't think <laughs> it's definitely a first world problem to say that, you know, now I have to write to contract. It does take away some of that fun, which is one of the reasons why I started writing under a pen name and co-authoring with friends and just writing some things that are just for fun and that mm -hmm. are vaguely silly. And I can crack out 2000 words in an hour, hour and a half and just have a good time with it. My name isn't attached to it. It's indie publishing. If we do well, that's great for us. If we don't do well, we don't have a PL sheet. It is mm. very freeing to not have to worry about this in terms of how does this novel affect my career? So my book uh, that's coming out in 2024, the co-authored book, actually began as that fun side project. I am writing this book with Marcy Kate Connolly, who has published many middle grade novels. Um, it will be my middle grade debut officially. I approached her about co-writing this book in 2018. So this was before I had sold Class Critters. This is when I'm in the depths of my slump. But I had an idea to do a middle school X-Files with two girls researching crop circles for a science fair project. Nice. And I wanted to co-write it because I wanted to go back and forth between the Mulder kid and the Scully kid. So we have our true believer in paranormal phenomena and we have our science-minded skeptic who just wants to win the science fair. And I approached Marcy Kate about joining me. We both were new moms at the time. She was juggling many other contracted projects. I was still trying desperately to get one of my other books that was on submission sold. So we started working on it very slowly and kind of in between other things and throwing ideas back and forth and chapters back and forth. And it was always that breath of fresh air. It was always that joy to come back to in between other things. And it always felt hopeful and exciting and fun. Obviously, I'm super, super excited that it is actually going to be published. 
But that book has brought me so much joy for so many years at this point that it just makes me smile that it exists and that I got to write with a friend and that in between other things, I always had that to come back to. Absolutely. And one of the beautiful things about co-writing is that you walk away from the book and then when you come back, it got longer and you didn't do anything. Yes. (laughs) You leave a chapter with a cliffhanger and then the next time you find out how it continues. (laughs) Yeah, it's lovely. I love co-authoring. I get a lot of questions about co-authoring because some people are very curious about that process and how you give up some of the creative control. I had never done it before. And it was something that was new to me when my friends approached me and asked me if I wanted to be involved. And I was a little bit worried because I can have some control issues just like in life as a human. But when it's a shared concept, because what I do under my pen name with my friends is not someone comes forward with an idea and then we all work on it. It's all three of us working together to come up with an idea. Mm -hmm. I think if I had my own original idea and I needed support in some way, like let's say I had an idea and it wasn't something that I could pull off alone because one of the POVs is so far outside of my experience Mm -hmm. or because there would be so much research involved that it might not actually be possible for me to execute it well. In that case, yes, I think it is a lot easier to share your creative space and to share your world and your ideas. I have not yet had an original idea that I invite someone else into. I have had other people do that for me Mm. and ask me to come on and help them with certain projects and I have really enjoyed it. I do love the collaborative aspect. The key for me I have found and with my co-writing partners, there's multiple of them is that you can't be precious about your words. You can't be convinced that the way that you did it is the right way. And there isn't another way. Most of my writing co-authoring happens with two other friends and we write over each other. We don't have POVs that we each take a POV Mm. to write that person. We each have our own strengths, but someone will write a chapter and then the next person goes over that, makes some changes, some fixes, and then writes further. And then the third person comes in, goes over what the other two of us have dabbled in. They make some changes. They go over what I wrote and we're always, all of our fingers are in everything. Mm -hmm. So I friends in real life that um, have read some of the stuff that's written under my pen name, which I don't share it generally, but there are some people that know, and they'll read something and they'll think it's really funny or they'll really like a certain scene and they'll text me or email me and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this scene where this happened, I know that you wrote that. Like, there's no doubt (laughs) in my mind that you wrote this piece of dialogue. I'll look at it and I'll be like, I don't know if I did or not. Like, I can't even remember. (laughs) Because all three of us are so involved in every aspect of the text. So Mm -hmm. how do you and Marcy Kate approach it? Do you have split POVs where one of you writes each character or do you both have your fingers in each of them? We each took one character. So Marcy Kate writes the Mulder girl, the believer in paranormal phenomena, and I write the Scully girl. And at the beginning, we really were just going back and forth from chapter to chapter. We came up with a general outline, a beat sheet. You know, we had some long brainstorming calls and then we just kind of tossed it back and forth to one another. And we only really dipped into the other's chapters either when 
like she would write a line of dialogue for my character that I'd be like, eh, that doesn't sound like her or vice versa. And then through the editorial process, it got more and more merged um, because we were really conscious of wanting the two girls to have distinct voices. Because if you're going to alternate chapters, they have to have distinct voices. Through the editorial process and the longer we worked with each other, the more confident and comfortable we both got dipping in and out of each other's chapters and really making notes. We used track changes and comments a lot. Oh, what would you think about changing this to this? Or do we really need this paragraph? We just turned in the book to copy edits. And so we are just beginning to draft out our proposal and some early chapters for what we hope will be the second book in the series, because we envision our two girls investigating a lot of paranormal phenomena. Now I'm finding that even though we're still alternating, we're already a lot more comfortable going into each other's chapters than we were when we started book one. We're starting at a slightly ahead of the curve place as compared to when we were starting to draft the first book, which is good because hopefully this second book won't take uh, five years to draft. (laughs) Yeah, you learn those skills. You learn how to work together and it changes according to your writing partners as well. So Mm -hmm. I have another person that I write with that uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring our stuff into the published world at some point and we write adult stuff together and he writes the um, male character and I write the female character and we mm-hmm. don't cross over and we don't um, intercede with each other's chapters. So it can change according to who you're working with. Mm-hmm. And you have to get to know the person. I knew Marcy Kate uh, socially because we debuted in the same year and I knew we got along and I knew I liked her writing and she liked my writing, but you know, working together is an experiment and you figure it out a little bit as you go. Last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find your books and where they can find you online? So my website is uh, katherineholmes.com, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-H-O-L-M-E-S.com. And I'm most active on Instagram. It's Catherine underscore Holmes. It's the same on Twitter. And yeah, my next book will be uh, The 13th Circle with Marcy Kate Connolly. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. <laughs>